Welcome to Texas True Crime. I'm your host, Jessica. Today's case is a listener request, and I appreciate the request. If there's anyone else that has ideas or suggestions for cases to cover, I would love to hear them. We are going to be talking about the murder of Mark Lund. His son, Brandon, hired a local gang to murder his father. And, you know, I think once you listen to this, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not. Same thing. I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. But I think this was two people who were suffering from a family tragedy and were having a hard time. And the outcome ended up being another terrible tragedy. And once things were set in motion, there was no stopping it. So the people in the community were shocked by this. The Lunds were a nice family. Everyone said that Mark was a nice, upstanding guy. A close family friend, his last name was Basham, said that he thought of Mark as another surrogate grandson, uh, not grandson, I'm sorry, surrogate grandfather to his own grandson. He said Mark liked to take his grandson fishing and, and do things with him. And he said there wasn't a nicer guy around. There just didn't seem to be a reason why Brandon should want his father dead. Mark Lund and his wife, Sandra, lived in Abilene with their 16-year-old son, Brandon. Mark was a retired Air Force mechanic, and Sandra was a stay-at-home mom. By all accounts, they said that Brandon, Brandon was a shy, sweet kid. He was in very, very involved at church, and he was an Eagle Scout. Another thing about Brandon was that he loved to watch T.J. Hooker and other old cop show reruns on TV. Now, the three seemed to be a very happy family, but in August of 1997, Sandra died unexpectedly from a heart attack. She was only 48 years old, and this rocked their family, obviously. It would be very, it's always hard to lose a family member, but then to lose one unexpectedly is just even harder. So Mark Lund was doing his very best to raise their son on his own, but they were both going through an adjustment period. And I'm sure it was also very a very emotional time for both of them. Now, at first, it seemed like the father and son were coping as good as could be expected during such a hard time. But soon, Brandon and Mark were having disagreements about rules in the home. At first, you know, it was the normal disagreements that parents have with their kids. Mark wanted Brandon to make sure he kept his grades up, and he didn't really approve of some of the new friends that Mark had been spending time with. But, you know, at first, it didn't seem like anything too much out of the ordinary. Just your normal teenager stuff. But Brandon had made friends with a rough group of people. Now, they had given him the nickname of Shorty, so he had he was spending enough time with them that they were starting to include him in things. And these people were not who you would want your kid to be spending time with. In fact, a lot of reports called them a street gang. They robbed homes. They stole cars. They were into drugs. They weren't the Brady Bunch. Now, I'm guessing that Brandon thought it was cool that these people let him hang out with them. You know, here he is. He's kind of a little nerdy, squeaky clean kind of boy, 
And I feel like this walk on the wild side was exciting for him. And I don't think he realized that these people weren't playing around. They were criminals. This was the life they had chosen. They all had had run-ins with the law and it wasn't new for them and it didn't bother them. Brandon was pretending, but these people were not. Now he was hanging out with these people at a house on Butternut Street in Abilene. And this house has since been condemned, but at the time it was an a notorious place where people came and went as they pleased. It was a known hangout with an open door policy for anyone at any time. People slept there. They basically did whatever they wanted. And from what I could gather, it was a place where people would just basically squat for a while. No questions asked. It, it wasn't anywhere that you would like to find out your child was hanging out. So, as you can imagine, this was not a place with a great reputation. Now, one of the people in the group that Brandon had started spending time with was a boy named Daniel Mullins. He was 17 years old, and he had had a pretty tough life all of his own. His mom had left when he was very young, and he would live off and on with his father, but his father also often left, and when he did, he would leave him with his grandparents, who were elderly. And at, during this time frame, his father wasn't even in the state. His dad lived in Arkansas. Now, Daniel had tried to go live in Arkansas with his dad, but it just didn't work out, so he came back to Texas. But it was hard to live with elderly grandparents, and being the nice man that Mark Lund was, he took Daniel in for a little while because he felt for the young man and his troubled living situation. Remember, like I said, everyone talked about what a nice, caring guy Mark Lund was. But unfortunately, the living situation didn't last very long because problems between Daniel and Brandon soon surfaced, so Mark had to ask Daniel to leave. Now, tensions between Brandon and his father continued to rise. Brandon was rebelling, and his dad expected him to follow the rules that he set for him. Ten days before Mark Lund was murdered, Brandon missed curfew. So Mark locked Brandon out of the house, and Brandon was furious. How dare his father enforce his rules? I know some of you guys are probably thinking, that's horrible. How could a father lock his kid out of the house? And I know now people would be very up in arms about that. But I'm going to tell you, when I was in high school growing up, I had lots of friends. that If their parents told them to come home at a certain time, and they did not, they locked them out. And so parenting was not as gentle as it is today. And there was a lot of tough love going on. And I'm sure that Mark Lund, having his military background, probably thought that was the thing to do, to teach Brandon a lesson. But like I said, Brandon was furious and he was fuming. And he told a friend that he wanted his father killed. Now, Everyone has gotten mad and said they wanted someone dead or I want to kill them. But this is where things took a turn.
The friend told Billy Don Wilson about this, and this was where Billy Don stepped in. Now, this is also where things start to get a little murky, because some reports say that Brandon offered his father's military gun collection up for payment, which was worth around $5,000. And then members of the gang said that they were offered nothing, just the opportunity to rob the house. There's some differences in what's reported with that. As the days led up to the murder, Brandon got nervous. He told the gang that he didn't want his father dead after all, and he wanted to call things off. But Billy Don Wilson and Marianne Halamos, the leaders of the gang, they weren't having any of that. Remember, these people are real-life criminals. They're not going through all this thinking they're about to be able to rob a home of a nice middle-class family where they're going to get some good stuff. And they've also been offered up a $5,000 gun collection. They're not letting this go. And they told Brandon, too late. You can't back out now because not only are we going to kill your dad, but you're going to be in trouble too. So they, they threatened, they threatened Brandon also. And you know, here's the thing. He was no match for them. Besides the fact, like I said, he was young. He was naive. He was a little guy. He only stood around five feet tall. And most of these people, except for Daniel, who was 18, the rest of them were all in their 20s. And Marion Halamos was 27. Billy Don Wilson was 23. And then everyone else was in their early 20s, like 2021. So, He was dealing with adults. He was way out of his depth. And I don't think anybody really knows what they're getting themselves into when they solicit murder, you know? Well, Billy Don and Marianne told Brandon that things were going to going, they were going to continue as planned. That was just how it was going to happen. So on February 10th, 1998, the gang came to Mark and Brandon's home two separate times to talk to Brandon about the murder. Both times, Brandon claims that he still tried to talk them out of it. He still tried to tell them that he did not want his father murdered, but they were adamant. It was going through. He had put this ball in motion and it wasn't stopping and that they would take care of things for him. So that evening, Brandon tried talking to his father about what he had done. He told him that the gang was coming to the house and that they were going to kill him. But Mark didn't really take what Brandon was telling him very seriously and kind of blew everything off. And honestly, I don't think if my child came to me and said, Hey, Mom, I hired a hitman and his gang to come kill you. I don't think I would believe them either. I think I would probably do the same thing that Mark Lund did. Because who would ever believe that their child was plotting to have them killed? I mean, it's a parent's worst nightmare and also pretty heartbreaking. And when you think about it, Mark's life was worth $5,000 and some junk in their house. I mean, it's horrible. Well, Brandon insisted on sleeping with his father that night in the same room. And Mark did get out his handgun and put it on the bedside table. 
it was loaded and cocked. So all that had to be done was to pull the trigger if someone decided they were going to fire that gun. Brandon also went around the house and he made sure all the windows and doors were locked before they went to bed. So Brandon did, by all accounts, do his very best, even though he had started this and he was responsible for this, he then did try to stop things and and at least try to keep his dad safe and warn him. So at 2.30 a.m. on February 11th, the gang came back to the Lund house for a third time. The gang was high and drunk when they arrived at the house, and they were dressed all in black. They cut the phone lines and then broke a window in the back of the house and came inside. Brandon and Mark were asleep in Mark's bedroom when Billy Don Wilson and Marianne Halamos came into the bedroom. Wilson took the gun off the bedside table and held Mark at gunpoint while the rest of the gang carried valuables out of the house. And they also took Mark Lund's gun collection with them too. So, Billy Don stood there, held Mark at gunpoint, and let everyone just carry stuff in and out of the house while Mark and Brandon Lund watched. And when Billy Don was satisfied that there was everything that he wanted out of the house, and everything that the gang wanted was out of the house, Wilson ordered everyone out. But he told Marianne Halamos she needed to stay. Wilson then told Halamos that she needed to take care of Brandon and he would handle Mark. So Halamos ordered Brandon to get down on his knees. She grabbed him by the hair and pulled his head back. Brandon began to start praying. But Halamos interrupted his prayers and taunted him. And then she scratched a cross into the middle of his forehead. All this time, Mark Lund is watching. And Halamos is taunting him, telling him that he's going to watch as she slits Brandon's throat. And she's going to have to watch his son die right there in front of him. They were into this. The gang was enjoying themselves. Billy Don and Wilson and Marion Halamos, they were high on the power of the scene they had created. And they are both going to act like, oh, no, it wasn't me. And I shouldn't be held responsible. And it was someone else. But they clearly enjoyed tormenting these, these two people. This this father and son. And it becomes very obvious, which you and I know this, listeners, they were never Brandon Lund's friends to begin with. They saw a young boy who was naive and they could dupe him into getting whatever they wanted and they didn't mind that they were going to have to kill his father and possibly him in the process. It just, it just wasn't a concern for him. Or for all of them. Brandon Lund and his father were a means to an end. That's all there is to it. And they took advantage of the Lund family's situation and their time of crisis and used it to their advantage. So, Marianne 
pulled back Brandon's head and slit Brandon's throat twice right in front of his father. Brandon collapsed to the floor and then pretended to be dead. But luckily, the wound was, or wounds were only superficial. Billy Don Wilson then shoved a pillow into Mark Lund's face and shot him twice in the head. Now, as soon as the two left the house, Brandon got up and called 911. Luckily, when they were cutting the phone lines, they didn't get all of them in the house. Because remember, this is 1998. Not everybody's got a cell phone on them at this point. You're using landlines still. So Brandon called 911. Police and emergency crews arrived and Brandon was rushed to the hospital. And he had to undergo surgery for the injuries on his neck, but he made a full recovery. Now, at first, Brandon was not arrested and charges weren't filed against him. In fact, he wasn't even a suspect. He was allowed to leave the state and go stay with his aunt in Minnesota. But all of the members of the gang were arrested. Billy Don Wilson was arrested and charged with capital murder, as well as Marianne Halamos. Charles Allen and James Lee Jr. were charged with burglary and intent to commit other felonies. Daniel Mullins, remember Daniel, he's the boy that stayed with the Lunds for a little bit. So this is how he repaid Mark Lunds' kindness. He was charged with burglary and intent to commit other felonies. And then Clifton Salazar was charged with second-degree burglary. Now, at first, as the group members were questioned, they all denied responsibility and involvement in the crime. You know, someone else was responsible. It was, you know, one said it was Billy Don. Billy Don Wilson said that it was someone else, that he wasn't even in the room. He didn't pull the trigger. Marianne Halamos said she she blamed Billy Don the whole time. She was hitching her wagon to that star and hoping that it would help her defense. Um, everyone was blaming each other and no one was taking any responsibility. But the more police investigated, it soon became very obvious that Billy Don was the shooter. And, but they all claimed that they just thought they were going to rob the Luns. They didn't plan to kill Mark. They never had any idea that this was going to happen. That was just Billy Don Wilson. So, you know, of course, they all started to turn on each other at one point, and all the fingers started pointing at Billy Don Wilson. And they all said that Marianne Halamos was his accomplice. Now, Charles Allen and James Lee Jr. at first agreed to testify against Wilson, but then they backed out, saying that, you know, what they said really wasn't true, and that they were worried that, you know, if they went to prison, they might be labeled snitches and they didn't want that reputation while they were in jail. So they were just going to take their chances with a trial. Instead of jail time, Charles Allen asked for extended probation. And so he didn't even want jail. He didn't think he deserved it because after all, he had just found out that he was a father and that he was HIV positive. So he wanted the court to just take it easy on him and give him extended probation. Sure. I mean, after all, all you did was break into a man's house, rob him, almost kill his child, and in the process, one of your group murders him. But, you know, just some probation because, 
you know, now that he's a father, he's, you know, got to turn his life around and he's ill. And his attorney said that because of his illness, jail would certainly be a death sentence for him. Now, the jury did not agree at all with this, and they sentenced Allen to 40 years in prison. James Lee Jr.'s attorney also asked for leniency, saying that he was still young and he could straighten his life out and turn everything around. But the jury also disagreed and sentenced him to 40 years in prison also. Daniel Mullins received the shortest sentence of all. He stayed in the car during the murder and the burglary, and he wasn't involved in any of the planning. So, and he didn't try to bargain for anything. But when it came time for sentencing, he received a sentence of 20 years in prison instead of anything, instead of the 40 years like the other two. Now, Billy Don Wilson hired defense attorney Quanah Parker, but not long after things started, Parker asked if he could please remove himself from the case. And it turns out that Parker said it became very obvious to him that Wilson was unable to pay his legal fees and he didn't have any family that could do it either. So the court appointed him an attorney and his new attorney requested the trial be moved because he claimed that there was no way they would be able to find any unbiased jurors, that the trial and the case had been so sensationalized and the community was in such an uproar over this that no one would be unbiased and that Wilson would never get a fair trial. But this request was denied. And Billy Don Wilson was sentenced to life in prison. Now, during the sentencing process, several of the ladies of his family sat in the courtroom and cried during the sentencing. But Wilson never showed any emotion at all throughout his trial or during sentencing. Marianne Halamos, on the other hand, was the most talkative of any of the defendants. She told a long, dramatic story on the stand. She said that all of her actions were an act to save Brandon Lund. She never intended to kill him and that she only did that because if she had not pretended to slit Brandon's throat, then Billy Don Wilson would have just shot him. She claimed that at one point when Wilson wasn't looking, she leaned over and she whispered into Brandon's ear that he was supposed to fall over and play dead. And that she used training from a nursing class that she took a very long time ago to just barely slit Brandon's throat. She said she knew where that artery in his throat was and she missed it on purpose. She knew that it would be superficial and then he could just fake it. Now, Halamos said that if it weren't for her, Brandon Lund would be dead and that she had done a service for everyone. Now, while she sat and told this story, the prosecutor rolled his eyes in the courtroom in front of the jury and people in the audience in the court snickered and laughed at her. So this story must have just been a real tall tale. That's all I can say because no one believed 
what she was saying. And it did not take the jury long at all. In fact, it was an hour and they sentenced her to 99 years in prison for her role in the crime. Now, of course, as things unfolded, police figured out that Brandon Lund was involved in this. He had solicited this murder for hire of his father. So Brandon returned from Minnesota for his trial. Now, Brandon's attorney claimed that he should be acquitted of all charges because even though, yes, he solicited this murder, he did everything he could to stop it. Brandon's attorney also said that you could not trust the gang's word against Brandon's because they weren't credible and they were going to say anything they could to help themselves out. But Brandon Lund was convicted of soliciting his father's murder, but he only received two years in a juvenile detention center. And, you know, I have very mixed feelings about this. Do I think that Brandon Lund was young and naive and going through a very terrible time in his life and was probably manipulated by these people? Totally. But do I also think that he was old enough to know right from wrong and you don't ask someone to kill your father completely. So I don't think two years was long enough, but that's my thoughts. Now, a year later, after Brandon had spent some time in prison, he was interviewed and he publicly came out and he admitted that he had solicited his father's murder. And he said that one of the things being in jail had taught him was that you needed to take responsibility for your actions. So I hope, I don't know, I couldn't find anything about what Brandon Lund is doing now. I hope that because he did only spend two years in jail and that meant he was out by the time he was 18 that he did turn his life around. I hope, I do believe he was remorseful. I do believe he realizes what a horrible mistake and how impulsive, rash actions can cause a tragedy. So I hope that he took all that and then turned his life around and that he's somewhere being productive and living a better life. And you know, I don't know what all went on in the Lund home. Maybe it was worse than everybody claims, but there was no evidence to corroborate anything except for a naive boy and a father living together and trying to sort out a rough time in their lives. So I would, and of course, Mark Lund ended up paying the ultimate price, his life. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Do you think Brandon's just a bad person who got almost away scot-free? Or do you think he was a young, immature, naive kid who did something impulsive and rash and then things couldn't be stopped? Let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Also, please tell a friend about the podcast. Let them know how much you like it and ask them if they'll listen also. 
give me some ideas about other thoughts, or I don't know if there's any good true crime documentaries that you've seen lately. Let me know about them. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod, Facebook at Texas True Crime, or you can email me at Texas True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. And I will see you next week. Bye.